Welcome to RPM, the podcast that explores the world of private markets. I'm your host, Maribel Yu. We recently issued our 2023 market outlooks. Joining me to discuss the private debt market outlook for 2023 are two members of our private debt team, Ariel Goldblatt, a partner based in our New York office, and Mark Zhang, a managing director based in London. Thank you both for joining me and welcome to RPM. Uh, Thank you for having us, Maribel. We're looking forward to the discussion today. Sounds great. There are a handful of themes impacting private debt performance. And in this year's outlook, you've pointed out how some macroeconomic factors are expected to affect the asset class. From a shift in monetary policy to a resilient U.S. job market, what are the key drivers this year and how do you think they'll impact private debt? Thanks, Maribel. Um, A very timely question. The key (laughs) drivers impacting the private debt market include inflation, right? Hard to miss. Inflation is expected to have peaked in 2022 and moderate in 2023, but still remain above our central bank targets throughout 2023. This has an implication on corporate revenue and costs, depending on how fast companies can actually pass on increasing costs to their customers. This likely can lead to much tighter corporate margins. The second thing I want to talk about is monetary policy and interest rates. Aggressive monetary tightening in 2022 has led to higher base rates and as a result, overall higher return expectations for private credit. On the flip side, the rise in interest rates could further strain tighter corporate margins and result in liquidity challenges. This could lead to borrowers needing to seek more creative financing solutions due to these cash constraints, which provides an opening for opportunistic strategies. And then from a corporate growth perspective, a recession would negatively affect EBITDA growth and likely adjusted EBITDA, which could result in potentially higher leverage levels and tighter free cash flow um, uh, fixed charge coverage levels. I think also you know, what's interesting, you know, in addition to interest rates and, and inflation, um, uh, Ariel's mentioned, you know, I think just across across the um, the economy, you've got geopolitical tensions, you've got impacts around um, the supply chain and energy supply, and, and you know, potentially an upcoming recession. Um, and a lot of these factors, you know, we've we've seen an increasing pressure on on corporate liquidity and that develops an uncertainty around um, how to approach to underwriting and structuring on on financing transactions. And I think the focus on corporate liquidity is interesting because I think, you know, how we look at private debt, we're seeing dislocation across the whole ecosystem. So if we observe capital markets, there's been a a liquidity shortage in capital markets um, and and the market closing there around, you know, uh, issuing syndicated loans or higher bonds. Um, And so we observe opportunistic credit um, coming into that arena um, to to kind of essentially plug that shortfall of liquidity. Um, You've also seen equity market valuations come down. That makes it increasingly dilutive and expensive to raise equity capital. Um, And again, um, we've seen opportunistic um, debt funds come in there as an alternative um, to equity. And then again, elsewhere in the ecosystem, we've seen LPs looking to rebalance their portfolios, potentially selling stakes. And again, another investment opportunity for buyers. And then again, other players include private private equity GPs, private debt GPs needing capital, um, as well as banks looking to reduce assets. So I think, you know, the way we look at the private debt market is that there's impact across the whole ecosystem and not just at the corporate level. That's helpful perspective on both private debt market and the private markets ecosystem as a whole. Now, given the uncertainty in this current environment, can you talk about why you believe the strategy is an all-weather investment solution? Maribel, interestingly, the number one top of mind question we have been receiving is, does it make sense to invest in private debt in this market. To tackle this question, I want to first highlight a chart that came from a research report BlackRock published in August 2022. This chart shows that the expected return projections for private debt falls in the high single digits to mid-double-digit range. If you compare that 
that to the public markets, which are showing low to mid single digits, you can see there is a significant premium to investing in private debt. Secondly, we've tracked historical volatility of the private debt market versus the public equity and the public debt markets, and the private debt market has experienced much lower volatility than the public markets. For example, over the great financial crisis and COVID period, the direct lending market only declined 5 to 8% versus the high yield and leveraged loan markets at 20% plus. As you can see from a risk-adjusted return perspective, private debt is expected to achieve higher returns with lower volatility than the public credit markets. From our perspective, this means it is a great fixed income replacement, but also given the ability to achieve double-digit returns, it can also be a very defensive equity replacement strategy given you are at the top of the capital structure. I think um, in, in addition to what Ariel talked through, I think a lot of that definitely relates to, to direct lending uh, around kind of more credit opportunity strategy. Um, kind of what we've seen through the cycle is that there's always a need uh, for capital solution uh, for complexity. I think we see complexity throughout the cycle. Um, and so that dictates a certain level of all weather activity. And, and that complexity could arise through um, being able to navigate certain transaction processes, whether you need kind of regulatory approvals or whether there's a tight timeline to that transaction. Um, I think during COVID, we saw a lot of companies needing capital to bridge um, essentially a period of time where they had depressed um, cash flow generation. Um, so I think, you know, we see, you know, even on the credit opportunity side and all weather nature around the need to solve for complexity. Um, however, when there is a dislocation, we do see elevated volumes in, in deal flow um, as well as potential returns. Great. Now, earlier you both touched on key macroeconomic drivers. What do you consider to be drivers for the continued growth and performance of private credit? You know, there are several factors that will further drive the growth and performance of private credit. First, um, this is a floating rate product. As a result, increases in base rates positively impact overall returns. Second, private credit has much lower volatility, as we discussed before, because it has a contractual coupon that is paid quarterly. This leads to a very stable cash yield for investors. Third, private credit tends to have lower losses due to its senior position in the capital structure. And lastly, private credit loans are short duration with most with most loans refinancing every two to three years. And and, and to add to that, I think you know, from a in, in a very simplistic way, um, you know, we're gonna see continued disintermediation of banks. Um, you know, we feel that in a private debt it's still a relatively underpenetrated market. Um, if you were to look at um private debt um, AUM as a whole versus the private equity market. Um, private equity is still, you know, five times larger by by AUM. Um, and if you look at kind of where equity and debt, you know, how, how they sit within the capital structure, you know, we do think that private debt, you know, should be um, of a similar size to, to, to private equity. So there's definitely a lot of room for growth there. Um, other areas where we see, you know, that will drive the, the growth of private credit is that there's an increasing sophistication of the private credit solutions for companies. And we're seeing the evolution of more sub strategies. Um, and, you know, we'll touch a bit on that later, but around kind of um, credit, you know, specialty finance uh, strategies, for example. Um, we're also seeing a great sophistication of CFOs to get comfortable with private credit solutions kind of beyond just direct lending. Um, and that sophistication is also um, increasing the, the uptake of debt fund solutions. Now, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about the current investment environment. Are there any specific observations to note as we think about the direct lending market over the next 12 months compared to this time last year? Yes, and I think there are four areas you know I want to touch on. First is pricing. Second is volume. 
third is lending terms, and the fourth is, is fundamentals. So as we think about pricing, as we mentioned earlier, the direct lending market is priced variably. This means as the base rate increases, lenders benefit. So for example, about 12 months ago, the SOFR floor or the SOFR was at about 25 bits. Today it's over 4%. So add that 4% to the 625 plus coupon you're getting in this market, in addition to the, the OID, and you get a double digit return on a very plain vanilla direct lending loan. And then as you think about volumes, you may think, great, pricing is up a lot, but can you actually deploy in this market given m and volumes are down? And the answer is yes. And this is driven partly by bank retrenchment, meaning that the syndicated loan market is essentially shut down um, and banks have retrenched from the market, as well as the fact that sponsors have more than five times the available dry powder as direct lenders, meaning that there is still significant deal flow available, but only for the best borrowers. And then as we think about lending terms, in a more challenging market environment, terms become much more lender friendly. Covenants, for example, have become much more common, even in larger EBITDA borrowers, as well as just overall tighter terms, right? Lower leverage, better cushion from an equity perspective, etc. And then lastly, as we think about fundamentals, you know, given the lower growth expectations, corporate fundamentals are expected to moderate. Diversification as a result is key in private debt, and it's free. It is also highly beneficial to be at the top of the capital stack in a senior secured position. Um, I think just to add also to, to Ariel's point around, you know, the the dry powder is going to be you know, accessible to to the kind of the highest quality borrowers. So there's a certain element of kind of, you know, what happens with other borrowers um, and kind of looking into the market, you know, where where's that liquidity going to come from? Um, so I think, you know, going over the next kind of 12, 24 months, quite a few refinancing, uh, refinancing are coming up with upcoming maturities. So I think there's definitely an element increase in um, and, and activity around it, amend and extend. Um, but it's also interesting to, to keep track and see how some of these capital structures might play out. I think you're seeing situations where new capital is coming in and that new capital uh, from from another lender group could come in, you know, super senior, could come in junior, uh, could be in the form of structured credit, uh, or there could be situations where you're seeing sponsors injecting equity. Um, you might get scenarios where uh, existing lenders will have to take haircuts and there could be restructurings. Uh, but I think you've got to be see uh, a multitude of different kinds of scenarios on how, how some of these capital structures might, might play out. Um, and something we're observing also is that potentially there could be lower levels of default relative to um, the global financial crisis where we're seeing more lenders coming in before a default happens to help to help the, 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 the borrowers trade through you know, what may be a difficult period. Ariel, earlier you had briefly touched on a defensive strategy. For those interested in implementing this strategy, can you walk us through the difference between defense and offense when it comes to private debt? Sure, I'll tackle defense and I'll let Mark tackle the offense piece. Um, but you know, direct lending is a through-the-cycle product. Um, and we are coming into a period with, you know, much higher returns, as we discussed earlier. In addition to just base rates coming up, we have also uh, also are seeing, you know, much better terms and coupons. And then as we think about private debt and investing in this market from, from a defensive position, our view is that diversification is free. So make sure you have a very well well diversified portfolio. Make sure you're also senior in the capital structure, and that you are selective in your manager selected selective in your manager selection. Um, and those are kind of the the advice that we give in this market. And I'll let Mark tackle the offensive piece. Yeah, I think you know definitely um, as Ariel highlighted, one of the, the key points on on defense is the the point around diversification. And then on the offense side, I think the key the key uh, characteristic that we're looking for is, is actually flexibility. And that's essentially how we see it. You know how we explained earlier on on, on the podcast around 
you know, we're seeing opportunity sets evolve across the whole ecosystem. Um, and being able to predict when these opportunity sets arise is going to be it's going to be difficult. Um, and so how we see it is, you know, maintaining the flexibility to be able to move capital um, into those opportunity sets as and as and when they arise. Um, so you know, examples of kind of how we look to um, set ourselves up on our platform and prepare our capital is that. You know, there's there's the capital solutions um, opportunity set where you know we just walk through companies needing liquidity, and then there's kind of more niche strategies that are growing where there, for example, something like credit specialties where there's an element of non-correlated strategy and you can lend against asset values in an inflationary environment. And given they're relatively niche, there's definitely a supply demand dynamic in their favour, allowing them to negotiate more attractive um, terms with with borrowers. And then obviously you also have the distress opportunity set um, and kind of as we see greater levels of defaults, I think you know, there's opportunity to invest in there, but there's going to be multiple opportunity sets. Um, and I think the key point you know, we see on the offense side is to maintain flexibility um, to be able to move capital into opportunity sets as and when they arise. Appreciate you taking the time to walk us through that strategy. Thanks again for joining me today. Take care and look forward to catching up with you both soon. Thank you for having us, Maribel. We appreciated the interactive discussion. Thank you very much, Maribel, for having us on, on the podcast today. Absolutely. That does it for this episode of RPM. Thanks for listening. For more research and information on private debt at StepStone, visit us at stepstonegroup.com. RPM is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Oh.